Hello. Yeah, there we go. Good morning, everyone. It's good to be here. We're going to talk about the mouth of the Lord. Or as Dennis said, the month of the Lord. So I guess it could be either one. Um, first of all, I, I just want to say a prayer. I know Dennis just prayed, and I appreciate that very much. Um, I just want to pray a covering over all of us, that the Lord would keep us healthy and whole. And I just, anybody that's battling sickness or anything like that, I just speak health and healing into your body. Um, Les is homesick, which gives me a little bit of P a little bit of PTSD from January when I took a COVID test two days before I was supposed to go to France and it was positive, to which I argued with the tech or the nurse, but nonetheless, it was what it was. So I just rebuke any COVID, I rebuke any virus, I rebuke any sickness over those that are staying home, those that are going on this journey to do this ministry over all of us, over all the saints throughout the network, we have a calling. And not that we can't intercede while we're down, but the Lord wants us whole and healthy and, and full of vitality in life. And so I just speak that over all of us this morning. Amen? Amen. 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 I talked to Sandra yesterday, and she was up at the lake doing some lake house things. And I mean, my last words were her were, Sandra, don't wear yourself out right now. <laughs> but nonetheless, life goes on, and... and um, I'm just really thankful. I'm thankful to be able to stand here with shoes on. I mean, I know it's been a while, but I can't tell you every single day. I'm so thankful that I can walk. And, you know, it's, it's the little things, but nonetheless, God is really good and so faithful. Amen? Amen. So, <clears throat> this morning, we're going to talk, we are going to talk about the mouth. And um, really, as I have prayed sat with the Lord and really meditated in my place and my identity for what I represent. Just where we are as a people, where God is taking us, um, from somebody that's been out in the field for almost 20 years to having a sabbatical or a hiatus for three years, and then now the Lord is launching us back out into the nations. Not that we have not been in the nations through this whole time we have been, because his spirit, there's no distance there. But nonetheless, to, to go forth um, where our feet touch the ground, where we take possession, where we go, where we equip, impart um, the saints throughout the earth. When I pray, and, and as I've prepared for really this first journey for me, um, going back in, Really, what we're going to talk about today is somewhat of a picture of what I see as to where we are. And um, it's very strange how it came about, but nonetheless, this is where we're going to go and what we're going to talk about. And it really is just like I said, I mean, as somebody with it's a prophetic voice into the saints, into um, our calling, um, this is really what I see. And so um, we're going to talk about the mouth. 
this is just a really interesting um, word. I apologize that I did not give you the Strong's definition on your outline, but it's very simple. This word for pay trans translates as mouth, okay? Um, but I am going to share with you a little bit out of the theological word book about how this word is used. It, it's used 500 times in the Old Testament. So whenever the Lord gives you a word to study and you see that it's used 500 or 1,000 times, what do you do? Uh, <laughs> I think there's... Uh, <laughs> I mean, it's true because that's a lot of scriptures. But the Lord was very strategic with me, and I didn't go through all 500. He just, like, over the course of the last couple of weeks, just began to show me different pictures, different um, scriptures to how all this works together. So um, it means, it translates as a mouth and as a means of blowing. And so I think about the mouth of the Lord, um, you know, I guess theologically, it's most significant used as the mouth of the Lord, but it's also used as the mouth of us, as a human. Um, it was used as the mouth of the donkey with Balaam. It was used as the bird's beak when Noah sent the dove out and it came back with the olive branch. The beak was holding the mouth. The pay was holding the branch. It was, it's used of the ground. The first issuance of this word was used with Cain and Abel when the ground opened up and took in the blood of Abel. Um, that's a whole teaching in itself. It was used in, in the, the, the story of Korah when, remember, the earth opened up because they rebelled against the leadership of Moses um, and the ground opened up and swallowed up all those people. And what an incredible sight that must have been, right? So it's used like impersonally in ways like that, but it's also used very personally um, to depict the mouth of the Lord. Um, let's see what else I can show you. Uh, the primitive root of this means to puff or to blow away, to scatter into corners, to cleave in pieces or to break into pieces. So it's very diverse. There's a lot of different ways that it's used, um, but we're gonna just specifically look at it um, in connection with his mouth to us and, and, and what is to be in our mouth, okay? Now you think about the mouth and you think, okay, you got the voice, right? Which is the coal. You've got the tongue and we know the death and life are in the power of the tongue, but the mouth, it's the organ that, that, that it's the organ of speech, okay? And for God, this word is used 50 times relating to God, all but two are Yahweh. So it is Yahweh speaking. It's the mouth of Yahweh. It's the commandment of Yahweh. Um, let's see what else. Um, it's used 50 times in the Old Testament of God's mouth. The God of the Old Testament is a God who speaks. His voice has not been muted. In all but two passages, it is God's capacity as Yahweh as he speaks. The other two that aren't Yahweh is Elyon and El Elohim. And we're not going to look at those passages today. Um, when God speaks, he speaks with authority and finality. God's speech is also prophetic speech. Um, in his mouth is the creative word. 
The mouth is the external manifestation of one's character and disposition. You know, out of the heart, the mouth speaks. So what's going on inside of you, what comes out of your mouth, is a depiction of that. The mouth is the organ through which one's relationship to God is ascertained. Okay? Obviously, um, what does the Bible tell us to use, do with our mouth? To praise. And so we're going to end with that. But that's, that's you know, pretty much the theological word book definition of this word. And now we're just going to jump into really what the Lord has been speaking to me with regards to it. So where we are, where we are today as a people, where we are today as God's ambassadors, his representative, which is what we are. We are a point of leadership. You recognize that, right? <laughs> and um, I just, I sense, you know, I, I don't even know when, but I know when we began to focus on... Um, welcoming the presence of the Lord in, um, in a fresh new way, I guess I should say, I started sensing a shift. And not only in a shift in the way that I commune with the Lord and the way He spoke with me, but just in noticing the way that our leader, our pastor, was, was coming forth with the Word of God, expressing you know, just the outpouring of His Word, the way God's speaking to him through Scripture, this, what we're talking about, centers around relationship with him and his word. His word, period. That is everything. And, and so I just, I sense a clarity of his presence. And I sense, um, I, you know, I could say a new season, but it's, 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 it's eternal. It is going forth um, where his directives and his strategies, his wisdom, there's a knowing and there's an understanding of it. And, and it's just a deeper dimension of being in him, of knowing him. And I'm so thankful for that because, you know, we could rock right along for the next 25 years and be okay where we are because it's so good, right? He's so good. And, and his presence is so rich and he's so faithful to meet with us when we when we go to commune with him. But guys, there's more. There's more. And, and, and so I want the more for us. I want, and when I'm saying I want the more, I'm not saying I want numbers. I want the more of him. I want, I want all that he has for us. And I want us to, to be that and to flow in that and to function in that. And when we go forth from here to the nations, and we'll just say into Brazil, because this really is a reflection of I, what I believe God, what he's carrying forth into Brazil, and then subsequently into France. We're going into France for the first time to hold a gathering that's going to be different than any, any that we've ever done before. What that looks like, I still don't know. Um, Pastor may know, but... Um, it's just, it's a new day. And, and we can't always do things the way we always did them before, even though they worked. And so that's really, you know, what I feel like we've broken through into. We've talked about breakthrough for so long. Guys, we have broken through. And yeah, we'll continue to break through, but we have. Do you hear me? We have. So, 15 minutes of filibuster. <laughs> 
So we're going we're gonna to start um, by talking about Moses. And so many of the, these first couple of passages really are um, kind of a foundation. They're very familiar to us. But this first passage in Numbers 9, this is really where this all began. Because I was just sitting, reading my Bible. I read through the Bible every, every year. I've done it for the, this is my fourth year. Um, so I do it every morning. And one day, maybe early last week, I read Numbers chapter 9. And I read these passages and they just like came alive in my spirit. I was just like, whoa, that's so amazing. And yet we know the story and we've seen the movie, <laughs> right? But, um, you know, when something comes alive, you better take note, right? And so these first couple of verses really are kind of a foundation um, for us as to who we are, bless you, and where we're going. And then we're going to get into the meat um, of really what I feel like the Lord wants to say. Amen. 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 Where's those little boys when you need them? <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I mean, it just comes when you least expect it, right? Uh-huh. Okay, so Numbers, um, Numbers chapter 9, verses 15 through 23. This is, this is at the conclusion of, of the children of Israel spending about a year encamped at Sinai. Remember, Moses goes up to the top of the mountain and he's up there for 40 days. He comes down, his face is glowing, he's got the Ten Commandments and then the whole golden calf thing and then he breaks them and then he goes back up. You know the story. So this is really when they are setting out on their sojourn to go through the wilderness into the promised land. And you do realize that's where we're going, right? Yeah? Yes, thank, thank you, thank you. So Numbers chapter 9, verses 15 through 23. And on the day that the tabernacle was reared up, the cloud covered the tabernacle, namely the tent of the testimony. And at even, there was upon the tabernacle, as it were, the appearance of fire until the morning. So it was always... The cloud covered it by day and the appearance of fire by night. We're going to talk about this Mara word for vision in a couple more and a couple passages later on. And when the cloud was taken up from the tabernacle, then after that the children of Israel journeyed. And in the place where the cloud abode, there the children of Israel pitched their tents. At the commandment or the mouth of Yahweh, the children of Israel journeyed, and at the commandment or the mouth of Yahweh, they pitched. As long as the cloud abode upon the tabernacle, they rested in their tents. And when the cloud tarried long upon the tabernacle many days, then the children of Israel kept the charge of the Lord and journeyed not. And so it was when the cloud was a few days upon the tabernacle, according to the commandment of Yahweh, they abode in their tents. And according to the commandment of the Lord, they journeyed. And so it was when the cloud abode from even unto the morning, that the cloud was taken up in the morning and they journeyed, whether it was by day or by night, that the cloud was taken up and they journeyed. Or whether it was two days or a month or a year, that the cloud tarried upon the tabernacle, remaining therein the children of Israel abode in their tents and journeyed not, but when it was taken up, they journeyed. <laughs> you get it? And the commandment of the Lord, they rested in their tents. And at the commandment of the Lord, they journeyed. They kept the charge of Yahweh and the commandment of the Lord by the hand or the yod of Moses. And so 
we have the we have the cloud and we have the pillar of fire. They're both pillars, right? And um, we know that this is the manifest presence of, of Yahweh, of God. And the obedience of these people to see this manifestation, to stay when it was time to stay and rest, to move when it was time to rest, to me is just phenomenal. phenomenal. But what I want us to see is that this is under the command of the word of the Lord, of Yahweh, through Moses. Moses was the leader. He was the appointed leader. And what you see here through his leadership, through his leadership is that leadership is relational. And I mean, at the very end of all of this, it says they kept the charge of Yahweh at the mouth of Yahweh by the hand or the yod of Moses. What do we know about yod? It comes from the word yada, um, meaning the hand, right? And it's translated as thanks, as praise. Um, it's, it's where we extend the hand to praise and to thank him, to give him adoration, to, to bring submission and um, contrition. And as we do this, as we submit in, in this dedicated, heartfelt measure of contrition with our hands, with our yod, he begins to reveal. It's revelatory. And as he does that, he begins to communicate the desires of his heart, what he wants to do and how he wants to use our hands really to partner with him in the miraculous or whatever he wants to do in going forward. And so through that relational um, devotion that Moses had with, with Yahweh, these people were led forward. They knew when to go. They knew when to stop. And we know that the anointing flows from the head, right? But I also want you to recognize that we, we emulate that. Okay, we have a leader, that anointing, that is flowing through him, through his relationship with the Father, with Yahweh. He's going to see that pillar, and he's going to see the fire, and he's going to know through the yada, through the revelation of God, of, the, of Yahweh, when it's time for us to move forward. And when I say that, to go and to come to go and to come, when it's time to rest, when it's time, whatever it is we're supposed to do. We have to trust in that completely. And, and, um, but we have to demonstrate that. So when we go into Brazil, this is what we're demonstrating. We're demonstrating that obedience of Yahweh, of His eternal plan, through relationship, through the extending of the hands. Um, and, and really, you know, we go and we teach and, and we, 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 we demonstrate what God, what, who, who we are before the Lord and what we've walked the last 25 years. And it's not about exploits. It's about His Word. It's about who He is. It's about our relationship with Him. It's about the Yod. It's about the Yada. And that's what we go and, and emulate. That is what we go and radiate with. And that's what... We hope and pray they see and they want, right? It's not just about going and giving them a commission to go and do activations on a mountain. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's so foundational and it's so relational. And so, you know, I know that over these last number of months as we have welcomed his presence and we have pressed so deep into that and our leader has led us in that, that there is a deeper connection. Do you feel that? Do you? Pastor, do you feel that? 
because that's what's, I mean, that is what you're leading us in. And that is what we are going to, to demonstrate to these saints in Brazil and in France. And so, amen, amen. You know, and so you think, okay, where's the pillar? Well, it's in us. You know, I mean, he is, you know, we're in the new covenant, so he dwells within us. And as sons, we follow him, right? Because that spirit of truth guides us in all truth. And so it's there. If the eyes of our spirit will look at it and find it, that pillar, that presence, that manifest um, presence of God is going to be clear to us. And we're going to know when it's time to move, when it's time to pull back, when it's time to rest. And, and every directive that God gives us, it's going to come at the, from the mouth of Yahweh through his command. Amen? Amen. Okay. Still with Moses, mouth to mouth. Still building somewhat of a foundation. Um, another very familiar passage. Mark Burke mentioned this a couple weeks ago when he was speaking about um, the face of, of, or the panine of Elohim. I took note, just FYI. Um, and so, you know, we have Exodus 33. The Lord spoke to Moses face to face. That's Panah, okay? We've been in this. We've lived through this. This has been a revelation for us um, throughout this season in a very specific way. As a man speaks to his friend, that's Panah. That's moving with his face, okay? That is friendship. We are friends of God. Our leader, our apostle is God's friend. And that is the ultimate form of relationship with the living God. It truly is. What does that mean? When we turn with his face, we ally, we ally, um, we're allied with him and his plan, his desire, his passion. In the innermost place of our spirit being and our capacities, we are bonded to accomplish his divine will. We move with his face, with his ways. We give everything and investment to that. Um, to whatever is required. Our spirit responds to the spirit of God. We're flexible, we're conforming, especially to the work that he's called us to do upon the earth. We move according to his ways. As a friend, we become conditioned in response to his ways when we seek his face as a friend. It is who we are. It shouldn't even be something that you have to think about. Your spirit is moving with the face of God as you are a friend of God. And that truly is the ultimate form of relationship with God, that face-to-face, -face, man with his creator, the Panah in his presence, totally aligned with his presence. But then we have Numbers 12, verses 6 through 8. And he said, and this is after Miriam and Aaron did their shenanigans with regards to um, the Ethiopian woman, wife. Ethiopian, right? And he said, Hear now my words. If there be a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known unto him in a vision, and will speak unto him in a dream. My servant Moses is not so, who is faithful, or he is a mon, in all my house. So he is at the right hand, in walking in faith with God on behalf of what he is saying, in his right hand, over all of God's people. Okay. With him will I speak mouth to mouth, pay to pay, even apparently, marah, and not in dark speeches or parables, and the similitude, or the likeness, or the form of Yahweh, shall he behold. 
Wherefore, then, were ye not afraid to speak against my servant? Like, how could you not be afraid to speak against him? So at this point, we recognize that God's called Moses to a higher calling, right? Um, hear now my words. It's, it's, I mean, it's, it's absolutely a higher calling. With him will I speak mouth to mouth. That means immediately, not with an interpreter, not by visionary, but directly God is going to speak to him, mouth, God's mouth to Moses' mouth, okay? And then it says, apparently, and this is this word, marah, and I, I tried to, you know, I studied this out, but it was going to get me like on a huge, like, another pathway, but it's a really interesting study that I don't completely, 100% understand, but I know that I will. Um, this word comes from ra'ah, and we know ra'ah in the literal sense, it's the common word for seeing with the eyes. It's discerning between good and evil. But this word has an extended meaning. It designates the understanding, believing, saving acceptance of the word of God as delivered by his accredited messengers. In Isaiah 6.10, it says to see with the eyes is to hear God's word. Now, I've always been puzzled by that because, you know, the prophets in the Old Testament, they say what the Lord... Um, that I might see what the Lord would say. I always thought that's such an interesting pair of words, but basically what they're saying is that what they're seeing is, is coming across is very clear word from God that they instantly understand. And that's what this word represents. It translates as um, a vision, a view, an appearance, a sight, it translates as face, countenance, um, and it is visions of divine revelation, sight, phenomenon, whether common or unusual. Um, and it's, it's literally to see with the eyes, and, and as you see with the eyes, you hear God's word, you understand it, you turn to it or turn from it in some, some instances that we find in the Bible, and you begin to process and, and, and accept it and move in it. And you think about it, when God gives you a word, what do you do? You process it, right? You accept it. You, if, it's, if he's speaking scripture to you or if he speaks a rhema to you, you accept that word, but you have to process it in the acceptance of that word. What does this mean? What, you know, what does this mean for my life? What does this mean for my ministry? But there's such a clarity in it. Um, the word apparently or vision, um, let's see. It, it's vision or plain sense and meaning of words which are so plainly expressed that the sense of them is easily seen and understood. And I feel like there's, I feel like that's happening. I feel like there's a level of this apparently or this morale that is just like an instantaneous, um, direct, understanding of what God's saying, what God's doing, and a clarity in that. Um, this word is used in Exodus. Um, this passage has been referenced several times in the last couple of months, but when Moses came to the burning bush, did I give you that passage on your outline? Exodus 3, 1 through 6? Okay. Um, so he kept the flock, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame of fire out of the bush. And looked, and behold, the bush burned with fire, and the bush was not consumed. And Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, this Mara. And then it says, why the bush is not burned. 
So when he sees the sight, he's going to understand what the vision is. He's going to understand what God is doing, what God is saying through it. And when the Lord saw, he turned aside to see. God called into him. And then in the midst of that scenario, God called him. Or he basically spoke the calling unto Moses' life to go and deliver the people through the voice of God. And so as he turned to behold the sight to Marah, he had understanding immediately came through as to what God was saying or what God was showing to him. So I just speak that vision. I speak that vision over our leader, over all of us, that we would go forth in that measure of clarity as Moses had, um, where God would speak to us mouth to mouth. It also was used in Daniel. It's used a bunch of times, but in Daniel, um, when uh, Gabriel came and... Um, and said, make this man to understand the, the Mara, the vision. So the angelic are part of this measure of, um, of vision and insight as well. Okay. Okay, let's look at Joshua. Okay, so <laughs> Moses has passed on, unfortunately. Sad, sad for him. And, and here we are with Joshua. Joshua has been commissioned um, they're poised to go and take the land, to take their inheritance. They're to be strong and courageous in battle, um, but their focus is to be on the Lord, okay? Every place the sole of your feet shall tread upon, that I have given to you, as I said unto Moses, from the wilderness and this Lebanon, even unto the great river, the great Euphrates, and the land of the Hittites, and unto the great sea, toward the going down of the sun shall be your coast. There shall not be any man able to stand before you all the days of your life, life as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not fail you, forsake you. Be strong, of good courage. We've studied all these words. You should know what they all mean. <laughs> for under this people shalt thou divide for an inheritance the land which I swore unto their fathers to give them. How many of you guys are believing for the land? Yeah. Are we believing for our inheritance? Are we living our inheritance? Yeah. We got to, I mean, yeah. Only be thou strong and courageous that thou mayest observe to do according to all the law, which Moses, may, my servant, commanded thee, turn not from it to the right or to the left, that thou mayest prosper. This word for prosper is to be circumspect, intelligent, wise, and prudent. We lay claim to that measure of prosperity. Whithersoever thou goest. This book of the law which is God's word, right? Shall not depart out of your pay, out of your mouth. But you shall meditate therein day and night, for thou mayest observe or hedge about to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous. This is our word salah, which means to push through, to advance, to break through, to break out, to succeed in what God has intended for us. And then thou shalt have good success. Have not I commanded thee, be strong and of good courage, be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed, for the Lord thy God is with you wherever you go. So one of the things that I really love about this, and this is what I want to speak over us, is, you know, what is this book of the law? And there's, you know, there's questions as to whether or not it was actually a tangible book. I believe that it was. Um, but we know that his law is holy, right? And what does that mean? That means it's set apart. It's not just moral. It's not just a moral code. It is a holy law. It is his word. It is his commandment. We, we live by the law, right? 
and it's his holy commandment as we are set apart to God for his use. So as we take that law in, as we meditate on his word, that holy word, we are set apart unto him for his use, holy and dedicated, our lives holy to God. Our lives for him, it is very relational, and it is a resolve that we cannot, that cannot depart out of our mouth. This is what God has given us. You look at that in the Matacost bookstore and you see the revelation of God's word, the understandings of God's word, the way he has guided us and directed us in wisdom and understanding to be able to walk this path for this last 25 years. You guys, it's going to get greater and bigger. And it is all because of, it's not about the, it's not about the battle with Joshua. It's not about how many battles can you win. That's it. The resolve is that holy set apart life relationship with God and his word. And that's what has to be in our mouth. That is what we have to meditate upon. And that is part of, that is who we are. Okay. So the command here is based on God's power through his word in Joshua and in us as we obey his word over military battles. We are going to do military battles, right? We are doing warfare, but we do it through that, that holy sanctified word that dwells within us, that he speaks into us, brings clarity, brings strategy, brings wisdom. That is the foundation of it. And as we, do, as, as we live in that resolve, we will salah. We will break through. We will take the land. Every place the, the, our feet tread that he's given to us, we will take for him. Amen? Amen. Okay. Let's look at Deuteronomy 8. Are you guys with me? Yes. Okay, thank you. <clears throat> We're still talking about the word. Um, Deuteronomy 8, verses 1 through 3. All the commandments which I command thee this day shall ye observe to do, that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land which the Lord swear unto your fathers. And thou shalt remember all the way which the Lord thy God led thee these forty years in the wilderness to humble thee, to prove thee, to know that, to, to know what was in thine heart, whether thou wouldest keep his commandments or no. And he humbled thee, and suffered thee to hunger, and fed thee with manna, which thou knowest not, knewest not. Neither did thy fathers know, that he might make thee know that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth or the pay of Yahweh does man live. So, wilderness journey... You know, that wilderness testing, it's been real for us, right? It has been. And what does it do? It teaches us obedience, but it teaches to hunger, right? To hunger and thirst after him in that place of the wilderness. And, and to realize, and for the children of Israel, that our only option is to trust him or to murmur. But we choose to trust him. But the thing about this is that they couldn't produce their own food. 
They had to trust him completely as their source, as their divine providence to live. And really, in the spirit, we should say the same thing about his word. The manna was provided daily. We, every single one of us has this responsibility before the Lord to seek his manna daily. It is, it is our sustenance. It is our survival. It is his mouth speaking to you. Okay? So ultimately, it wasn't the bread that kept them alive. It was his word. Because it was by his command, their bread was provided. And it's pretty much the same with us. So you think about, we're going to jump to, um, to Matthew 4, 1, 1 through 4, which is always nice when you find a, a verse that complements your Old Testament because then you can look and see what the words are in the New Covenant and the Greek, which um, is delightful. So Jesus in the, the temptation, this is part of the temptation, right? And, and so what did Satan do? He told him to turn the stones to bread because he'd been fasting and he was hungry. And Jesus refused to do this, right? Because he knew that God hadn't decreed those stones to be made food. I mean, even Jesus followed the command of the Father, right? And he knew those stones were not, it wasn't a command of the Lord for them to be made um, bread. And so let's read Matthew 4, 1 through 4. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, afterward he was hungry. Now when the tempter came to him, he said, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every rhema that proceeds from the stoma or the mouth of God. Okay? Now we know the rhema is like that divinely inspired utterance that comes in a moment in time, released to us in times of our intimate commune. Um, it can be released through scripture. There's a multitude of different ways, but it comes from God on behalf of uh, where we are in, in a timely fashion, okay? But what I want us to see is that the translation of mouth here is stoma or stomata, but in Greek it's stoma. What do we remember about that? Right? Remember? The wonderful teaching that Shay did about the about God's creation and the plants. Well, let's just review that just a little bit because that every word we live by every word that comes out of the stoma of God. Stoma is Greek for mouth, and we remember in the plant on the leaves are these tiny holes called the stomata, which is the stoma. And they open and close, allowing carbon dioxide and water to get into the plant. And, and in the presence of light, or the fullness of God's ways and His truth, processes the impurities through them, converts them to sugar and oxygen, and uses that sugar and oxygen to fuel growth and development and to release oxygen into the atmosphere. We talked about it with regards to the tree of life and how the leaves for the healing of the nations. How, remember the, the tree was like, um, like a pillar that would draw water from the ground and it would come out and this whole process would happen to bring forth um, fruitfulness, right? And so we derive life when we eat the sugar and we eat the plants. And so when, we, when he's talking about man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word or raiment that proceeds from the mouth of God, he's talking about this process. 
And so we said a few minutes ago, when God gives you a word, you process that word, right? Any impurities, anything that you may be dealing with that may hinder that word, anything, you process that just like this and ultimately bring forth um, fruit or purpose from what God has spoken. Now we can liken that also to the revelation that we have been living about the friend. And remember, the friend is that measure of understanding. Remember, we have a phrenic nerve that regulates our breathing. And as we draw in our breathing from that spirit within us, that place that we know, we embrace, and we accept, we gain wisdom and understanding, and we pray and process through to speak forth his mysteries. So as we are created in the image of God. I'm not saying we're trees, but the Bible says we are trees of righteousness, right? And so this is a process, spiritual process that is very real for us that we draw from in partnership with who God is, the Spirit of God, um, and His Word. And, you know, I didn't, I, this morning I was, I was praying and I remembered a conversation that I had a couple days ago along these lines with regards to the Word, okay? Because we're talking about the Word. John 1, 1 through 5, and I'm sorry these verses aren't on your page. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was God, and the Word was, the word was with God, and the Word was God. So He is the Word. He is in you. That Word is in you. The same was the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made. Made that was made. In Him was life. And the life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness, and darkness comprehends it not. This is a commission for us. But then I also remembered through this conversation about both John and Ezekiel, how both prophets, how they were called to take the book, which is God's word, and eat the scroll. And when they ate the scroll, it became bitter in their belly, but sweet as honey in their mouth. So it's the sugar. It is a process that we are continuously in before the Lord through his word. Um, so then for John, he took the book, he ate it, it became bitter in his belly. His mouth became sweet as honey. And then God said to him, thou must prophesy again before many peoples, nations, tongues, and kings. This is something that we have to acknowledge. This is part of who we are in our makeup and the way God created us to flow in the spirit as prophets, as those that are going into the nations to bring the word and to speak the word and to pray the mysteries. This is all such part of it. And then the same with Ezekiel. Um, I'm not gonna read them because the passages are too long, but in chapter two and three, talks about how he has been called to this rebellious house. And you know, so often it's like as prophetic ones, we're, called, we're gonna be called into places where there's complacency and where there's sin and where there's, you know, they, they're rejecting. And God is gonna require us to, to, to take that word, his word, his command and eat it. And it's gonna become bitter for us, right? But it doesn't become us. It's just something that before the Lord, we process with him so that it can become released into sugar, into fruit, and it can become a release of his word to bring forth, um, to bring, um, you know what I'm saying, 
to fulfill his purpose is what I'm trying to say. So that's how it works. <laughs> and I know that's a bunch of jumble and we've been studying about these things for so long. So um, I just... I just feel like this is so much where we are. I mean, this revelation as we go into this nation for the first, you know, not for the first time, but as we are launched back out into the nations to recognize that this is really how he's created us to function before him. And it's how he functions is phenomenal to me. Amen. Amen. Does anybody have a comment? Okay. All right. We're going to talk about Isaiah. Another very familiar passage. Um, this is chapter 6. This is um, when Isaiah had, I think, the one and only vision that's listed. But I probably need to go back and check on that. But um, there's such a clarity and a clearness about it and such a simplicity about it. And it's so purposeful. And I just feel like it's speaking to us today where we are a necessity for us. Um, as we do, as we are called to go into the nations where there's the demonic and where there's battle and warfare on behalf of righteousness in the land. Um, some of it may even be infiltrated in the church where we're going to be exposed to things in the spirit realm. We have to keep ourselves pure and clean. And, and so, the, you know, this has always been something that's been just very um, prolific for me personally, and I'm assuming for you as well. But I just feel like as we enter into this new season, God is calling us to come into that place of purity through his help once again. And so Isaiah 6, verses 1 through maybe 13. And the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Now it's interesting here that of all the names that he could have listed here, he used the word Adonai. And we understand that this word Adonai, this word for the Lord Adonai, is the word that relates to our placement and our assignment as people of God. So clearly from the get-go, we see that God is going to prepare him to be commissioning, commissioned. Now, it's interesting to me, and I don't really have an answer for this, that Isaiah functioned in the first five chapters of the book. And so why this commissioning is here, I don't really know, other than maybe it's just um, a deeper measure of, you know, a new depth of authority and power in the word of God for him. Um, I don't know. But it's not his first rodeo here. Um, but perhaps um, just a stepping into a higher degree of, the, of his prophetic office which I feel like is where we are in so many ways. And so he has this vision of Adonai sitting on the throne. His train fills the temple. And then you have the seraphim. Above it stood the seraphim. And we understand that these seraphim are burning ones. They're the fiery ones. Um, this is the only time in scripture where this particular angelic being is referenced. Um, the root is seraph, and it means to set on fire. And the seraphims, um, they minister above the mercy seat as opposed to the cherubs that, that ministered alongside it. And they just give praise and glory to the Lord. But they are fiery ones. Each had six wings. 
With Twain, he covered his face, and with Twain, he covered his feet, and with Twain, he did fly. Um, and their fire really represents the zeal for the Lord and for his calling, because we're talking about Adonai. We're talking about the God who establishes and, and positions his people according to his, his eternal plan. So for you and for me, he has an eternal plan for you. He has a calling for you. He has a position for you. And, and um, yeah, so that's Adonai. And it said, and one cried unto another and said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. So here the seraphs, seraphim, they are declaring this holy, 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 which we know speaks of that innermost divine nature of who God is and the restoration of the earth, of his creation. And the post of the door moved at the voice of him that cried and the house was filled with smoke. And, and then there was a woe. <laughs> Ever say a woe? And this is, I mean, this actually is, woe. This is actually, thank you. Can I hear another woe? <laughs> this is actually Isaiah's seventh woe. So there were six woes in chapters one through five on behalf of the nation. And then this woe is on behalf of him because he just was in the presence of the Lord. And you know what happens when you're in the presence of the Lord? You see your junk, <laughs> right? Right? You can't stand in, his in that place of holiness and not be undone. Or you shouldn't be able to. And so for Isaiah, who was called of the Lord in such a mighty way, that was his woe. Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the King and the Lord of hosts. And what I just said a few minutes ago about God calling us into the nations that are impure and that are evil and that there's demonic and there's idol worship and there's all the things that we will face. We have to make sure that none of that, as God calls us to process through that prophetically through the process that we just talked about with the friend and through the stoma and all of that, that we don't allow any of that to become, to infiltrate us. And it, it, it happens if we're not just continuously before the Lord. Um, yeah. And so for Isaiah, I mean, he acknowledged that and he said, I'm undone. And he really identified with the nation um, being in, uh, of unclean lips. Okay. And so then flew one of the seraphs unto me, having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with the tongs off the altar. Um, that whole, we've talked about this. We've taught about this. Um, this was either the, the burnt offer altar of, of sacrifice of the meat, or it was the altar of incense. We don't know for sure, but nonetheless, the fire was the fire of purification, and we know that sin cannot be purged without sacrifice. And so this really, truly was prophetic in um, depicting that sacrifice that would cleanse him from the inside out. He laid it upon his mouth and said, Lo, you've touched my lips, and your iniquity is taken away and thy sin is purged. So that just really gives you a picture of the significance and how important the mouth is. And I, I said this earlier, out of the heart, the mouth speaks. Our mouths have to be purified. And, and it's so easy to get in a place where there's pressing and where, I mean, I literally just went through like two weeks of intense warfare on behalf of my own identity and my calling. Just out of the blue, it just happened. I know how it happened. And how did I let it in? And yet it was, you know, a, maybe not two weeks, maybe like 10 days. 
where I was just before the Lord and I was battling on behalf of my own identity. I'm sure we all walk through those times, right? Where the enemy is trying to pollute you and really trying to pollute your calling and your purpose and your identity. So we have to have this measure of the, the coals to touch our lips so that what comes out is pure and holy. And then from there, we know that he heard a voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And at that point, um, Isaiah said, here I am, send me. And, um, you know, so, yeah. And then the prophecy goes on about, you know, what he's supposed to go and tell the people. And we're going to stop here. But I guess my point in this prophetically is just to say that I feel like this process is in the works right now. I know for me, being prepared to go into a nation where there is the demonic, where there is a lot of things that, that we've seen in spirit that we know are very real, that that coal is, is, is important, that it touches my lips and that I'm impure before I step foot out. Amen. Okay. We're almost done, guys. Okay. So from there, we recognize that we are called to raise up Elisha's. And this has been a prophetic word that's been alive for us for the last four or five years. Second Kings 2, 9 through 11. And it came to pass when they were gone over that Elijah said unto Elisha, Ask what I shall do for thee before I be taken away from thee. And Elisha said, I pray, let a double portion, this is a double mouth or a double pay, of thy ruah be upon me. And he said, Thou hast asked a hard thing, nevertheless, if thou see me when I am taken from thee, it shall be so unto thee, but if not, it shall not be so. And it came to pass, as they still went on, they talked, that behold, there appeared a chariot of fire and horses of fire, and parted them both asunder. You know, the chariot of fire came and, and, and separated them. I always had the vision that the chariot of fire took Elijah away. Didn't you? That, I mean, you see the paintings like in the bookstores and stuff or the museums, and he's like in the chariot. Well, it really, I mean, by what I read, it was the whirlwind that took him up. It was the, the ways of God. It was the, pre, the manifest presence of God that took him up, which I feel like is so significant. So, so he's asking for this double pay of the ruah. We know the ruah is really represents the person of God. It represents the spirit of God within a person, the heart and individually of God. Um, and so that's what he was asking for. He was asking for the person, the heart, the individually of the spirit of God to be within him, okay? He wasn't asking for twice the power of miracles, I don't think. And I've always thought that. I've always thought, oh, the Elishas are just gonna run with these miracles. And that, to me, that's what it's always been about, is about the miracles of Elisha. That's not what it's about. It's about, it, 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 it's about asking for a double portion to be the successor of Elijah, to be privileged to carry on his ministry under God is what it's about. It's about, um, it, it, this word is, is used for um, the double portion is applied to the firstborn. Therefore, his request was simply to be the heir to the prophetic office that Elijah held his gifts and the ministry of his master. And so to me, because I know by the spirit that he said, if you see me taken up, it will be so. 
And I feel like, I feel like that Elisha was able to see Elijah being taken up in that whirlwind, which is the tempest of God's ways. It represents to me the heart of what all this represents. It's not about us imparting this double portion of this miraculous power that we carry. It's about imparting relationship and about imparting the, 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 the burden and the privilege to carry on this ministry before the Lord. What is this ministry? We started out talking about this. This ministry is relationship, right? This ministry is being face-to-face, mouth-to-mouth with Yahweh. This ministry, that's what this ministry is. It's friendship with God. And it's from that come the miracles. It's from them come the exploits. So from now on, when I think about Elisha's, to me, that, that's what it's about. It's not that they're just going to come and carry the banner and run and get a double portion of, of it's, it's a double portion of his spirit, of the person of God, of his heart and his individuality, who he is. That's what it is. And through that is his partnership with his purpose. And so... So this is what God has called us to raise up and to equip and to know and to see. And then lastly, we just talked about the whirlwind. Um, let's talk about partner. Let's end with partnering in the storm. These are the two passages um, that I'm going to give you that, that I gave you that do not actually speak of God's word, but of some other manifestation of who he is, okay? And it's in the storm. And I just want you to acknowledge the fact that, you do acknowledge the fact that God has given us partnership in the weather, right? That is a gifting, a calling that from the head down, God has given to us. I've seen it manifest over and over and over from storms to temperature drops to lightning strikes to snow when it hadn't snowed in 40 years. I mean, I've seen it manifest in ways that have just absolutely blown me away. This is something that we carry in submission to our leader who God has placed that mantle upon him to carry that. And so we have to know how to partner in the storm, even when it's maybe a little bit frightening. I was sitting at my kitchen table I don't know, a couple of weeks ago, two weeks ago, a week ago, sitting there doing work. I think I was studying and it was raining and um, had my dogs all around me. It was just a peaceful and all of a sudden thunder and lightning struck. And honest to God, I thought it struck my house. It felt so close. It like made my heart tremble. And I thought, oh my gosh, wow, God, you know, that, that's God. That came from the throne. I mean, that somebody lifted a voice, you know, it begins with a voice. Some pastor's probably in the sanctuary praying. I know he didn't pray that my house would get struck. But, I mean, it was like, it, it, it made me shudder. And so I was like, oh, Lord, thank you, thank you, thank you. And then it started thundering, and then the rain came. Well, I sat there about 10 minutes, and all of a sudden I started smelling smoke. And I thought, maybe that did hit the house. So I got up, brilliant. 
And I walked, I noticed at the front window that there was commotion outside and there was smoke. And so I went out and looked at the front window. There was like 10 fire trucks and my neighbor's house had been struck by lightning and it was flaming. I know. For six hours, they worked to get the fire out. But I, I say all that to say that we're going to see some phenomenal things. We've seen some, but we're going to see things that are off the charts. And so um, I'm going to read this passage in Job um, quickly, and we'll end with this. Job 37, 1 through 5. And this also my heart trembled and is moved of his place. Hear attent attentively, this is hear with attention, the noise of his voice. And this is like the commotion, the restlessness, the crashing of God's voice. And we know that everything begins with a voice, particularly his voice. It begins that fourfold pro progression of restoration that manifests through that process of the storm and the earthquake. And the sound, this is hege, and it means a rumbling, growling, moaning sound. And I love this because it's kind of a strange definition, but it's a low sound characteristic of the moaning of a dove or the growling of a lion over its prey. But the derivative of it is this word higion. And I don't know if you guys remember studying this when we were talking about Selah in the very beginning, but higion is a form of meditation. Um, it's used in the Old Testament to describe a song that's played particularly in a jumbled kind of way. There is a dark nature to the song that's despairing progression and it concludes with some form of a loud blast. When the Higion was sounded in the midst of the dirge-like progression, the people were, were to immediately proceed to some type of a sila, And we know what that means for us. The answer God sent to re in response to the Higion was a dramatic destruction visited upon the workers of the enemy kingdom. You see the power in that? So as a partner to worship, intercession is always the key to the seal of breakthrough. And so at the sound or the hege, or we could say the higion, goes out of his mouth or his pay. And I, you know, I believe, I've pulled this higion principle out more than once. I've talked to the worship team about it. It's not something that they're just so excited to do, but I think it has to be, I don't think, I know, that is led by the Spirit. But what a powerful powerful moment of, of sound um, and intercession and meditation and song before the Lord as it truly has the power to, um, to bring destruction to the enemy kingdom. So I think that may be something that we apply, who knows, in some time in the future. And then it says, he directs, he yasars, and under the whole heaven, and this word for, for direct means he, he, he makes it straight, okay? So he's doing all this from heaven and the, his lightning unto the ends of the earth. After it, a voice roars, he thunders, he violently is agitated with the voice of his excellency, his majesty, and he will not stay them when his voice is heard. God thunders marvelously with his voice. Great things does he, which we cannot comprehend or yada. This is the God that we serve. And he is majestic and he is mighty and he is all powerful. He has the power to completely bring destruction to the enemy camp in partnership with us as a voice and as all the things that we've talked about. Psalm 18, 6 through 10, David said, In my distress I called upon the Lord and cried unto God. He heard my voice out of his temple and my cry came before him, even in his ears. Then the earth shook and trembled and the foundations also the hills moved and were shaken because he was wroth. 
there went up a smoke or a thundercloud out of his nostrils, and the fire out of his mouth or his pay devoured. Coals were kindled by its lightning. He bowed the heavens also and came down, and darkness was under his feet. This is the power, the manifestation of God's intercession. And I, you know, I've read, I've read Psalm 18 so many times. It's very long, but it's all pretty much like this. And you think, what was really happening in the natural? I mean, if this, all this was really happening in the natural. But my point is, is that David cried unto him in his distress. And God heard his voice out of his temple. And God answered. And God answered with this raging tempest of a storm upon the earth that can destroy the enemy that's coming against us. And so I say all that to say we're called to partner in that storm, um, what comes out of his mouth, and whether it's thunder, um, whether it's fire, his command, it's mouth to mouth. And he's moving, and I'm just so thankful for where he's brought us. And I just pray that every part of this is applied to where we are and where we're going. Um, Amen. Amen. So does anybody have any comments? Go forth and get your higgy on. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well Dennis, I'm done.